This is episode number 297 with Steve Blank of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to another Founder Podcast. My name's Nathan Chan, CEO publisher of Founder Magazine and also the host of this show. So I just wanted to say I hope you and your family are healthy, you guys are staying safe and you're doing okay. I know this is a crazy, crazy time right now and we're doing everything that we can to help serve you at Founder. We're producing so much content. Um, We're going to put out so much stuff to really help serve you through this uncertain, crazy, scary time. Now, I just wanted to share before I talk about today's guest, if you do want more help in any shape or form, make sure you go to founder.com, F-O-U-N-D-R.com. If you're interested in any of our courses on how to start a business, these are absolutely incredible, or how to grow a business, just go to founder.com forward slash courses, or check out some of our free trainings, founder.com forward slash free dash training. And then also, if you're looking for just free content, we have so much more than just this podcast. Check out the blog, check out our YouTube channel. We're trying to put out as much content as we can to help serve you guys. So let's talk about today's guest. His name is Steve Blank. He's an incredibly successful founder and he's going to take you through his really like his three-step process to help businesses cope during this crisis. Now, he's like a Silicon Valley veteran. He's been, you know, like building companies for over 20 plus years. Uh, He's very, very well respected in the startup space. He's somebody that I've learned a ton from personally. And, you know, he's like built so many companies. He's been through this before. He went through the dot-com bubble bursting. And uh, look, he really just lays it all out for you guys. So I think you're going to get a lot from this episode. Um, And he really talks about from his experience how startup founders can manage this crisis and his three-step process every single business needs to do right now on how to cope with this pandemic because he's been through it before with his own companies and he's built, you know, $100 million year plus companies. This guy is a serious living legend. All right, guys, I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you get a ton of value. If you do, all I ask is just share it with two friends, two friends, people that you know have a business or want to start a business. We're putting out so much content to help. Please help spread this message. We're here to help however we can. All right, now let's jump into the show. So Steve, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, Thanks for having me. I wish you could be under better circumstances. Yeah, me too. So um, for those uh, that that are not familiar with yourself and your work, can you just give us like a little bit of a, a background? Like how did you get your job? How did I get my job? <laughs> Which one? I've had about three or four careers. I, 
I had a first career in the U.S. military during Vietnam. Uh, most relevant for your listeners and viewers is uh, I did eight startups in 21 years in Silicon Valley. Uh, Box score was uh, uh, four IPOs uh, in a variety of industries. And uh, what was really most interesting and most valuable were two craters so deep they left their own iridium layer. Um, in fact, uh, one of them was the beginning of, of the learning that became customer development and then the lean startup. And my last career has been as an educator. Uh, I'm an adjunct professor at Stanford University, senior innovation fellow at Columbia, and I've taught at, uh, at Berkeley as well. Um, and so I, I now think and write about and, and teach the nature of innovation entrepreneurship. My classes at Stanford have become two uh, U.S. federal programs, one called uh, i the Innovation Corps, which all our research universities use to commercialize science, and the other called Hacking for Defense, uh, which our Department of Defense uses um, as the basis of innovation and entrepreneurship. But besides that, I've just kind of been sitting at home eating chocolates. <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, look, um, I remember our last conversation. Um, I'll never forget, um, I asked you a question and I said, like, if you want to build a $100 million company, is it possible working 40 hours a week? And your immediate response was, no, um, like not possible, not even possible. You got to be working eighty to a hundred hours a week. Has that has that uh, answer changed? Well, you could be doing Bitcoin or dealing drugs. I mean, so there there are always boundary cases to every question. And, and so let's be fair. There are outliers where somebody will you know raise their hand and say, "No, you're wrong. This is how I did it on ten hours a week." Um, but but I think your your viewers are interested in the bell curve, and, and and usually it takes a lot of work to make stuff happen. Because if you remember, you know a startup is creating something from nothing. It's it's an irrational act, and it's a, usually an irrational act that requires passion and violence and aggression and and a lot of hard work and a lot of hard work of a dedicated team. And the reason why is uh, you're not only trying to solve a lot of unknowns, you're typically competing, if it's a good idea, with 100 other people with the same good idea. Um, and so it's not just your idea, it's your ability to execute. And that operational execution um, is what matters. I, I still remember a good number of my startups, you know, finding product market fit was step one, but relentless execution, relentless execution was the rest of the three and a half years. And so not understanding that uh, uh, and the amount of passion and commitment necessary, this isn't a sit at home and clip coupons job. And as I said, I, 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 you could probably have some great, fascinating guests who who kind of broke that mold. And, and I'd be interested in hearing those stories. But for the rest of you, I still haven't, after 40 years, still haven't found any shortcuts to this. Now, the good news, by the way, just just let me add, for, for for those of you who are listening and, and viewing who are founders, you know, if you're treating this like a job, um, then you ought to realize this is the world's shittiest job. You know, founding a company is not a job. Um, founding a company is a calling. And artists or artists and religious people are called um, to a profession. And so if you're not called uh, to be a founder of a company, if you just think this is an easy way to riches, you know, those days are, if if they ever existed, have certainly over as as per March fifteenth. I mean, those those days are gone. Mm. So, um, Terry got in touch with me. She shared with me uh, your blog post around uh, the survival guide to 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 survive in these times. If you are a startup founder, um, and I also saw you you post another blog post um, for CFOs which I thought was interesting as well. So um, let's, uh, let's kind of jump right in. Like during these times, you, you, you've got an incredible amount of experience to share because you've been through a recession before as a founder. Yeah, it's uh, so, you know, most of the time, if you're a, a young entrepreneur or, or just an entrepreneur period and a founder, the rule is kind of, you know, implicitly, yeah, screw all those guys with gray hair. What the hell do they know? Because <laughs> like I'm inventing, you know, I'm inventing everything new and 
I've discovered sex and drugs and they've never heard of that stuff. And, you know, this is the only time I would suggest to young entrepreneurs, you really, really, really want to pay attention to the people with gray hair who could tell you the mistakes they made, not their advice, but what did they get wrong during the last downturns that they wish they would have done? And, and I, I, I got to tell you that, and these showed up in the blog posts on, on my blog at steeplank.com. You know, the biggest ones, it's kind of the simplest, is doing the math about your burn rate. That is, how much are you spending every week and month? And what's your runway? How much do you have left? Um, and if you're a startup without revenue, that's the only math you need to know. There is no revenue coming in. There are other startups that actually have, you know, early customers or, or potential orders. We'll talk about that in a second. But for both cases, you want to calculate runway. That's your survival. And it used to be you thought, well, if you were cash flow negative, well, if I meet these milestones, I'll have another round. <laughs> you know, I don't know what world you're living in, but if all your assumptions are the same today as they were a month ago, you have your head stuck under a rock. Um, everything is now it needs to be recalculated from first principles. You know, your burn rate is your burn rate. Uh, not really. So some of the things like rent, which were we call fixed cost, they might not be fixed anymore. Um, it, a month ago, going to your landlord and saying, I need, you know, a half price cut of my rent, they would have laughed hysterically because there would have been a line out the block for your building or office space. Those are reasonable requests to make. So number one is you need to do an assessment of externally what's going on and internally what's going on. And so, and, and stop me if, if none of this makes sense or you want to interrupt, but the, the number one thing to do in an assessment is, believe it or not, before even your burn rate and your cash and your cash left um, in, in your runway is, how long do you think this is going to last? Now, your guess is going to be as good as any expert, but is this downturn going to last for three months, six months, a year, three years? You need to have an opinion. And that opinion will matter because if it's a short term event, then you could just kind of calculate this on a spreadsheet and not much needs to change other than slightly tightening down things. But if you think this is going to affect your business for a year or more, then more extraordinary measures are going to be needed to be taken. Number two is, you know, what's going on with your customers in your market, not just the overall economy, but if you were selling enterprise software, are your customers even in business? Were they in travel and hospitality or airlines or the ones that are obviously hit? I don't care what your VP of sales gave you as a, you know, as a forecast a week ago. None of it is valid. Or are your customers in retail? Or did you have a multi-sided market? Is No, we, we were getting lots of users, but we were dependent on advertisers. Well, those advertisers still advertising or are they out of business or are they preserving cash? So you need to do an external assessment and then you need to do an internal assessment. And I mentioned a couple of things is what's our burn rate? What's our runway? Um, most importantly, um, do the customers we thought we have, are they still there? Uh, uh, CEOs need to basically take a day with their exec staff and sit in a war room and say, okay, let's do some of the basic math. All right, VP of sales. How are our customers doing? And if they're like any great VP of sales, they'll say, it's okay. Everything is just, you want to get on the phone with them and personally call the top 10 customers or potential payers or whatever. And you want to hear that the check is in the mail. And if the check is not in the mail, you want to figure out, is there anything you could do to accelerate early payments, discounts, you know, buy-ins, whatever, uh, bundles. Uh, number two is your, you want to check with your CFO to figure out what are additional sources of capital that you could draw down. Are there bank loans? Are there government you know, recovery uh, dollars being uh, uh, spent? Um, have you talked to your VCs? Are they writing checks anymore? for the, your, If you're a pre-seed, are people writing seed checks? If you're a seed, are they still writing A's? And don't take, oh, we're right behind you. We're right behind you is like either naive, lying through your teeth, or clueless. Um, because VCs themselves are going through a lifeboat strategy. They're also asking, how long can this last? And what are we going to do about our most valuable uh, 
investments that are probably burning a ton of cash. How'd you like to be investors in Airbnb today, who's burning a ton of cash, thought they were going to go public, and all of a sudden their business and revenue drops to zero, right? But but if you're an investor, you can't afford to let that go out of business because that's a good chunk of your portfolio's value. Does that make sense? And then you want to take all that data and you want to call up your investors, either your seed investors or your, uh, if you're lucky enough to have VCs, and say, here's our assessment. What do you see in the rest of your other companies? Because while you're seeing one company, hopefully they're getting data from 10 or 15. And you want to correlate that data. And all you want to do is check in and make sure that you're not off and, and share with them what you're seeing. Because then you want to go to step two, which is, okay, what's our new business model and what's our new operating plan? And by business model, it might mean, do we need to find different customers? Do we need to find different channels? Again, clear example, if we were in brick and mortar retail, we clearly need to find a different way to get our products and services to customers. If we were selling to them, are there other targets we need to go to? Is there other parts of our business like our warehouse or supply chain or software that could be repurposed? You know, one of my startups was uh, doing onboarding for large companies. Well, for three quarters or seven eighths of the world, that's not a problem right now. But it turns out for another part of the economy, like in retail for Amazon and, and big retail chains who are actually hiring hundreds of thousands of people in the U.S., that is a problem. So where do you kind of move your business model? And while you're thinking about business model, the other thing you need to think about is um, is cash management. And that's the job of kind of your CFO. You need to be thinking about, you know, how do we manage a new operating plan? And for both new business model and how do we operate um, in the new world, where the first assessment, step one, was done with the C-level only, sitting in a room, assessing what the world looks like. In step two, I would open this up to everybody in the company. All ideas are welcome. You know, somebody has an, how come we're not selling to X? Or how come we're not selling to Y? Or here's a way we could reduce costs. Or here, everybody should have an all-hands feeling that this is, uh, they're a part of this. But at the end, the decisions are going to be made by the CEO. Uh, but on this one, I would be getting the collective intelligence of the entire company because everyone's job is going to be dependent on figuring it. This is a survival and a lifeboat strategy. And for the CFO, as I mentioned, is uh, drawing down all kinds of uh, resources and cash. And if you have a, if you're big enough to have a head of HR, congratulations, they have a new job. Um, and it's not job satisfaction. It's going to be handling layoffs. Um, which is depressing, but it's gonna. It, that is probably the most expensive part of your company, and it needs to be done with compassion, with a, as much kind of, you know, cash that you could afford to give them. And for gosh sake, if you're truly running out of money, do not run it down to zero, because you know that to me is a big X on any CEO's career. You know, I I thought it was gonna turn around next week. It never does. Um, never run your payroll down to zero. And if you happen to be in, in one of those uh, companies that actually have opportunities to grow in, in this market, you ought to understand that there's some world-class talent that's hitting the street that you were never able to get in any other time. And I would overstock that talent. Overstock because they ain't coming when there will be. So think about it. There will be a morning after. There will be a recovery. So even if you're cutting back, but you're not going out of business, I'd be thinking about what would I wish I would have kept when recovery happens. So if you're if you're cutting, make sure you don't cut those people or or projects that you might want to dial them down. But how do I keep them so when the recovery does happen, I'm willing to um, I'm able to grow or or just out compete because I kept those resources. And if you or and if you have the ability to grow. Lots of great people and lots of great resources are going to become available. How do I stock up on them in a way that no one else could grab them now? That's a huge competitive advantage. And then the third and final step is, and this is the one if you ask most people my age what you got wrong, um, it, it was the inability to execute quickly and, and take immediate action. Um, you know, it's clear this is not going to be better next week or next month. Um, and each country is going to deal with their economy um, as they see fit. But I think most people are agreeing 
that uh, shelter in place and lockdowns of businesses are, are going to continue with for uh, uh, more than a while. Um, the biggest mistake I've seen people make is a not executing quickly and B if they had to do layoffs, not laying enough uh, off enough people up front. Oh, we'll lay off five. Then we'll lay off 10. Then we'll lay off 20. Then we'll, that's the, that's the morale destroyer and productivity destroyer for a company. Um, because everybody is looking over their shoulder, understanding that you haven't made enough cuts and wondering who's next. The alternative is to do it all up front and people will feel miserable like they should, but then they'll understand they have jobs and their jobs are going to be there and they just need to work hard to preserve the, the health of the company. Um, and at the same time, the last thing that, um, I've seen companies fail at in, in these kinds of crises are not over communicating. You need to be sending out messages every day to your company every day. So when you were doing an assessment, Hey, we're assessing what's going on. We'll get back to you into in a day. Here's our, then at the next day, here was our assessment. You know, we're now going to figure out what our new business model is. Love your input after three or four days, you know, here's our new business model. Here's what we're going to be doing. And then when you're working through this every day, here are the key numbers, here are the key customers, here are the key orders, here's whatever, here's what we see going on, gee, here's, you know, whatever, we're all in this together and we're going to come out better and stronger. But that needs to be communicated from the CEO, you know, either in writing or, or uh, town halls or whatever format. And so the worst thing, as just to summarize, is you know, there's kind of an axis, uh, kind of a spectrum of what a startup CEO could do. One is panic with your hair on fire. Oh, the world is ending. And the other is, oh, no, this this will pass and let's not do anything. Both of those extremes, I think, are a real mistake. Um, you know, this is a um, this is an event that's never occurred in probably the modern capitalism at all. This is not a downturn. This is an engineered downturn to save hundreds of thousands of people's lives. And we've made a conscious decision to crater our economies to do that. Um, but but therefore, it's happening overnight. It's not some gradual, you know, stock markets going down and unemployment is slowly going up. People are like working one week and then entire industries are shut down the next. So uh, so that's my kind of advice on the high level. Sorry about the soliloquy. That's <laughs> so good. Um, so, yeah, look, I've got a ton of notes here. So we're talking uh, in Australia. It's the 27th of March. In You're in uh, California, right, San Fran? Yeah. Yep. Um, so it would be the 26th of March. Do you think it's going to get worse before it gets better? So, um, you know, last week in the United States um, – 3.3 million people applied for unemployment insurance. <laughs> That's like, I don't know, 20 times more than any week ever. If that continues for three or four weeks, it'll be more people unemployed than, you know, in the last 75 years in the United States. Um, so I, I think we, we need to separate the worst in maybe three components. Right? One, what's the stock market's going to do? Well, okay, that may or may not have some you know, uh, some effect on your business. Two is more importantly, um, what's the virus going to do to the health of our family and our communities and our country? Um, and the numbers for Italy and Spain and even the U.S. aren't looking so good because they're still looking like one of these. Um, and, and then three is what's the state and the health of our local economy? Um, and, and that is a kind of a self-inflicted, you know, thing we've done to preserve life and, and safety. Um, and so to answer your question, um, I think the trajectory for, you know, economies and layoffs are, you know, go in this direction that is downward um, as we're shutting industries down. Um, and those are going to have massive ripple effects um, because let's just use an example is, you know, well, they're closing retail stores and, and restaurants in the United States. And and you could say, well, I'm not in that business. I sell to enterprises, so it doesn't matter to me. But you need to think about it. Well, wait a minute. Those people buy from my customers. They no longer have jobs. 
Well, how's that going to affect my customers? Oh, well, they might have to cut back because their customers aren't customers anymore. Does that make sense? And so if you're a founder, you need to start thinking about ripple effects uh, about and when they're going to hit you. It might be, oh, everything's just fine. I just got another order. Well, maybe your customer hasn't like dawned on them that their customers no longer have paychecks. Does that you know the other thing people at least in the states have yet to come to grips with is it's shutting down the gig economy. No one wants to stay in an Airbnb, so Airbnb is kind of cratering. And no one wants to get in an Uber in a closed car where you know fifty other people have been touching surfaces and the driver might be sick because if they're not driving, they don't have a paycheck. Um, so all of a sudden, all these gig economy uh, uh, players are being hurt. So the answer is, yeah, I think it's going to get worse. Hmm. And when you talked about, um, you know, laying off staff uh, you and, and runway and, and the internal assessment and, and cost to cut do, and, and cash flow management and burn rate and runway, was that off, do you, is that off the premise that you should have 18 to 24 months reserves well in a perfect world you perfect world you would if you're an early stage startup you know that's not what you have at all you know sometimes you might have it uh, and congratulations if you do you know two years is a great cushion at the current burn rate um but if it assumed the set of revenue numbers uh, you know behind that you might not really have two years of cushion but if you do congratulations even if you have 18 months congratulations but if you're a normal startup, you may be running on six months, nine months, or a year's worth of cash. Um, and you were making a set of assumptions about financing that happened after. Let me emphasize that. You were making some critical assumptions that follow on financing or some liquidity event might happen. I will contend that those statements are no longer true. Maybe that'll happen, but you cannot believe that your investors' math are still the same. You don't know. And so the first thing I would be doing is checking in and and checking in constantly. How are they doing? Um, are they writing new checks? You know, what kind of startups are they changing their strategy? And in these first couple of weeks, they might tell you there. No, nothing's changed. But you know what? If this continues, trust me that uh, investors are going to be changing strategy. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. So. Take me back because um, you said you've done eight startups in 20 years. Uh, any of those startups, uh, any stories from, from previous recessions where you said uh, you wish you had of, um, you know, cut faster and done did a big, bigger cut in terms of, uh, you know, conserving cash and, and payroll? Um like what, what, like how long did it last and, and did you have to pivot? Can you share some stories there? So the biggest, the biggest one I saw was at the dot-com crash. I had just retired. Um, so I got to watch this as an outsider. Um, but I watched our company, which was Epiphany that had 800 people, um, act like the downturn was just some transient uh, problem. And the reason why in that company was pretty clear in hindsight is that we had hired a CEO who was a world-class executor. I mean, world-class, new process, procedure, and if, and we had gone from zero to $125 million in real revenue in three years. I mean, we left a rocket ship. Yeah, so it was a great company, and he was a great guy to take it to a billion dollars. But our customers had disappeared. But it felt like he was, the, I don't know if you've ever seen the cartoon Roadrunner, where the roadrunner is running on the cliff and then the cliff's ending, but he's still running on air and doesn't understand that till he drops like a, you know, a ton of bricks. Well, that's what happened to not only Epiphany, but um, almost every other startup in that space. They kind of assumed that the world would continue in execution mode. But in fact, it required cutting the country. And I remember going to our venture capitalist at Kleiner Perkins and saying, this thing needs to be cut back from 800 people to 80. And they kind of laughed. They said, oh, Steve, this is going to recover, you know, in 90 days. This is a temporary phenomena. Well, it was nuclear winter for three years. I mean, three years. Um, and luckily, the company got a, a, a different CEO, our VP of sales, Karen Richardson, who managed to, you know, pick it up out of the rubble and at least sell it off 
for some reasonable price that wasn't embarrassing. Um, but but the the lack of understanding that just because the last, for example, today we've been in a bubble for the last decade, right? Everything's gone up, unicorns and money, and you know, like if you had an idea, it was fundable. It's hard to imagine a world where that's not true, and and the point is, it's time to imagine that. There are you know, literally in the U.S., there are millions of people this week without jobs, millions. Um, I'm sure the same effect is going to happen at, at scale in, in Australia. Um, and so you need to imagine what that world looks like. So so to answer your question, the biggest one was just thinking that, oh, this is a temporary blip. And because we had been in this rocket ship, not understanding that, you know, the classic what come, goes up sometimes needs to go down. Um, but the other thing to remember is um, there will be a morning after. I mean, there will be a recovery. It's not like everything's dead forever, but how you handle it will kind of prescribe how, how you come out of it. So when you talk about execution um, and executing quickly, that's something that is, uh, I think, of value to a lot of people, especially if they are having to pivot their business model or change who their customers are or work on a particular project that might have legs in this particular market because everything has changed. What advice would you share to, to, to build a, like, you know, to, to rally your team, to be able to execute at a really high level? Because, um, everyone's remote now, like right now, everyone uh, like likely would be working remote and that's a new playing field in of itself for, for, for leaders. Yeah. And I, I think I'll go back to the thing I said earlier about communicate. So I think every morning or, or sometime during the day, maybe sometime during the day, cause people will now get up at different times, but there ought to be a, uh, uh, a, a shared uh, a video or live town hall from the CEO. I would not make it very long, but I would make it a daily, you know, 20 minute, hey, here's what we're doing. Here are the results. Here's whatever. And, and make sure there's some curated questions. And by curated, you don't want uh, this to get out of control. So you want people to be able to send in questions, but, you know, you you don't want the morale to be destroyed by a couple of people who like sometimes will do that. And then if the town hall is large enough, but you want to con- constantly communicate and have people feel that you're you're working hard. And by the way, the other thing I didn't m- mention um, in a startup, if the C-level staff was taking a regular salary, that needs to end. It's a big idea. They need to communicate that they're taking a haircut on their pay. And if you're not willing to do that, then you might as well quit and go home because you're really not committed to the survival of your company. And, and, and it shouldn't be 10 percent, doesn't have to be 90 percent, but it should be something that's meaningful that you can announce to your staff because there are other people who aren't going to have jobs. Um, and so the first thing before I would be laying off people is I'd be cutting the salaries of everybody by some percent to see if you could keep the people who could least afford it. You know, if you're laying off janitorial staff and you're keeping hundred percent salaries for every engineer, you really ought to think about the social impact of that. Because those are the last people who are going to get work again. And you might want to think about how do you support them versus how do you support someone who says, well, you know, I, I deserve a, you know, my current salary and you can't cut it. Those are the, probably the people I would let go now. Um, because there will have to be lots of sacrifices by everybody. And there will be some people who won't kind of get their head around that. To be honest, I'd be figuring out how to jettison those people just to make a point, is that we're all in here to be in here at the end. And if we're all not going to make some sacrifices, then we're not going to make it together. Um, And you want to try to protect the most vulnerable um, of, of your company. So well, the first instinct might be, well, let's get rid of all our janitorial services and we don't do, need X or Y. I'd be trying to figure out how to support some of those people. Does that make sense? Yeah. What about your A players, though? Yeah. So you got to understand there are going to be a lot of A players on the street, a lot. Um, and, and so now is also the time to think about um, uh, kind of – 
recalibrating your staff. Um, you know, it, it, we were in an environment where hiring was incredibly hard because there were a limited number of A and A plus players, uh, and they were all being chased by not only the big guys but other startups. That's no longer the market. Um, I think a lot of people are going to get their expectations reset to, you know, what this new, new normal is. And I think smart CEOs will figure out about how to reset that as well. Um, if people go, well, I'm special, you can't do that. The first time you jettison one of those, I think everybody will get the message that says, you know, this ain't last week. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I would be truly thinking about how to send, you know, the we're in it together messages. We're going to do anything it takes to survive and keep everybody employed. But if we can't, we're going to, you know, protect the vulnerable. And, and if you're not with me or if you think, you know, you deserve some special treatment, welcome to the new job market because we're going to change a bit here. Um, and you sometimes hear the phrase a wartime versus peacetime CEO. Um, you know, this is now wartime. Um, CEOs, uh, unfortunately, the, that gets the analogy kind of wrong because it's a little insulting to people who have served, you know. In war, if you screw up, it's not that your salary gets cut or you get laid off. You measure that by killed in actions. Um, but what they do do is they train for the fight all the time. That is, they've been practicing this their entire careers. You as a CEO are for the first time dropped in to a wartime situation where you've had no practice and you've had no, you know, you've run no simulations. Um, and you haven't done battlefield drills before. Um, but you need to act like that very quickly. And so that same behavior that worked in peacetime is, oh, we have to have buy-in from everybody and there has to be consensus and there has to be you know, open meetings. You know, Those days are over for now. And, and if you're not willing to act that way and communicate why, it's not that you wanna be a dick or you know, just like, but somebody has to say, this is not normal times. We're going to treat everybody with respect, but we're going to operate with minimum uh, minimum latency in decision making. And we're all going to figure out whether we could get through at the other end. And if there are people who are uncomfortable operating that way, this is now not the time to keep them in the company. And by the way, this is one guy's opinion, but I have I have seen companies try to juggle um, prima donnas when the plane's on fire, you know, those are the first people I push out the door. It's like either sit down and help me fly the plane or, you know, get out and like take a parachute, have a good time. Um, but we're going to get this thing on the ground and we're all going to do it together or feel free to leave. And, and I don't mean to overemphasize that, but the behavior of the CEO, the founders and the employees all need to treat this seriously. It's not just the CEO's problem. It's everybody's problem. And that's why I said brainstorming a new business model and seeing new opportunities and new opportunities to preserve cash is everybody's job. Yeah, I really like that. Um, I'm curious around expectations of team during an during a, a time like this. Is it is it unfair to expect your team to work more than 40 hours a week? Are you joking? I, I don't know any startup where the team is working 40 hours a week. <laughs> is, is Australia something different that I didn't know about? Or was that a facetious comment? <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to say expect more, working more than 80 hours a week. Yes, that's that's unrealistic. Um, I, I, and seriously, I mean, you know, are there... Are startups unionized in Australia? Did I, did I miss no, no, we got an office I in New that, York. I I, since we spoke, we're, 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 we've been we've been getting some good growth, Steve. So we got a remote team. We got uh, an office in New York. So, I just so, yeah, like I, I'm just trying to be thinking and mindful of my my listeners, and you know, like of course, you know what I mean. You know where I'm going. So, this, right, yeah. So yes, so so let, let, let me re listen. I would expect people to work hard or, or harder than they were during the layoffs, but I would expect you know, CEOs to be incredibly cognizant that they're doing it. We're juggling a couple of kids, a wife who's going crazy, you know, trying to keep bandwidth going and, you know, to need to take walks and whatever. So 
Yeah, I expect the work to be staggered in a way that, gee, you all can't meet at 9 a.m. or because the kids have online lessons or you got one computer being shared by six people in the household and whatever. Sure, you need to accommodate that, but there still needs to be some output here that is commensurate with like keeping the company afloat. And so, yes, you need to be sensitive to that, but the expectations also need to be, how do you want to contribute here and how can you? And if you can't, then that's a set of decisions that need to be made. But I think the expectations for all employees is, you're still at work, um, though there are extenuating circumstances about how work itself might be arranged. Um, I, I guess the general message is this is not business at all costs now. It's obviously you need to preserve your family, your health, your community's health, your country's health, et cetera. But at the same time, um, if you want to get paid, a company has to continue to exist. Um, and you have to decide as an employee whether you want to participate in that or not. And now more than ever, your full participation as much as you can is critical. And as a CEO, you need to have expectations that everybody's on board. And we could put the little asterisks in any way they can. That's, I would be incredibly loose about how they do it or do they get on the computer when their kids and family are asleep? Who cares if, if that's not critical? But they all need to be on board. Did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, you did. Um, so we talked a little bit about running remote. You talked about having like a daily stand-up and, and, and having as a leader being like as a CEO leader, um, really communicating where you're at almost every day if you can. Anything else there on running remote teams? Do you have any experiences you can share just around the execution piece? Because I agree it is so important now whether you're in a business that needs to pivot and rework your business model, or even you're in a business that perhaps has some opportunity, execution is everything in this market. Yeah. So, um, you know, I would, uh, uh, just by the way, to kind of follow on and bridge your last question to this one. The other thing I, I mentioned besides communication, um, I'd offer remote therapy to, to uh, your company as well. That's a cheap benefit uh, because, you know, there's a lot of anxiety for everybody. People are dealing with children. You're worried about your parents, older family members and friends. And work-life balance has kind of like gone out the window. And things that you used to do to deal with stress, like going to the gym or having social events, well, those have gone out of the window as well. Mm. Um, and, you know, um, and people who had, you know, drinking problems or drug problems, all the AA and NA meetings have been canceled. So those who are in recovery are now don't have a normal support system. And so, you know, mental health is really crucial. And I want to, you know, double down on what I said before is we're all in it for, for the keeping our jobs in the company. But we're not going to do this if we all melt down. And so CEOs ought to think that remote therapy and, and uh, um, keeping your employees healthy and sane is, is equally important. And. And, and let me just add to that is um, for employees who have kids, um, you know, getting a corporate account on some kind of virtual school, if they don't already have one, and, and making sure that you offer resources for their kids and their family. And um, um, I, I would be doing that um, at, at the same time. Um, and I'm sorry, did I answer your question or did I go back to the last one? You you did, um, but uh, yeah, I'd really, really still really know, love to know around any experience running remote teams when execution is so important. No, I, I have not. Um, and um, um, uh, I wish I did, but I don't have any personal experience doing it. Okay, that's cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for being honest, Steve. Um, what about marketing? Talk to me around your marketing and your messaging. Um, how should you change it? Should it change at all? Should you cut marketing? Um, some people say that you should should keep it going. Now's not the time to stop. I read in your blog post that you should. Well, yeah. Well, the people who are saying that you shouldn't stop are the ad agencies <laughs> uh, and your PR agencies. Of course, <laughs> Of course they should stop, but they should stop doing what they were doing a month ago. Um, 
And, and so this goes back to assessment. Not stop all advertising. I mean, think about advertising, right? Uh, number one job is to create end user demand and drive it into your channel, right? And so first of all, we got to make sure those end users are still around. So it's part of the assessment. Like, uh, you know, what are they watching? Are they home? Are they now watching Netflix? Or, you know, what are the media I could reach them on? Is it, you know, what blogs are they reading? Or what, you know, what websites or what, et cetera. Two is, is the, do they even care about my product or service right now? And so while you're advertising folks and your PR folks want to tell you full speed ahead, please send us more checks. Um, it's, a, it's a lot more subtle than that of like, wait a minute, is this still relevant here? And the answer is, for a good number of industries, it might be, but maybe the messages are completely different. Maybe the messages are, hey, we're on hiatus, but we're building ventilators you know, for hospitals. You know, if I was a large manufacturing company or, hey, we can't, you know, we're still selling product, but we're, you know, don't want to sell you this, but we're giving out free, you know, uh, masks or, gee, we're off, we're supporting this food drive for laid off employees or whatever. I mean, think about what message you want to communicate now, which might help you to build your brand or help your community or whatever. But, but the odds of your messaging being identical to a month ago. I find that really kind of glib. Uh, it might be some cases, uh, but again, if you were Amazon or whatever, it might be you don't need any advertising at all. You're just trying to keep up with demand. Or if you're now, um, and I don't know how it, how it was in, in Australia, but telemedicine was really limited by our national laws. Those laws have all disappeared where you now could do telemedicine in a way you could never could a month ago gee, I would be doing advertising to tell people about new services that weren't available a month ago that they thought weren't possible. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, when you talk about execution, because I, I really think this is an important piece, even selfishly for, for myself and, and our team and everything we're doing at Founder, what are your thoughts? You know, you said that um, at Epiphany you had a really strong CEO that was was really strong on execution systems processes. Um, do you think at this point in time people should be focused on like uh, processes and systems and all that side of the business? First, you have to have a model that you could operate a process against. I mean, you think about it is. Um, this is now the time where your crazy people are actually need to be brought back into the company. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, on day one in any startup, it was the founders who were trying to find product market fit and trying to testing X and testing Y and, and, and doing all kinds of crazy stuff until you found product market fit and you said, okay, enough of the crazy stuff. Now we need to, we found how to do that. Let's just build KPIs and OKRs and people have jobs and, you know, it's repeatable. We can write job specs, et cetera. I'm 10 for a good chunk of startups right now. You're back to the crazy times because you need to find a new business model. So the business new business model needs to come first, and then you build new processes. Right? So if you think you have, in this new normal, a working set of product market fit that could scale and generate revenue and generate business, then yes, build the processes on top of that. But if those have changed, having old processes and old job specs are actually the things that are going to sink your company. When people go, well, I'm just doing my job. And you go, your job is no longer relevant. <laughs> well, it says so right here in my job spec. And then, well, here, give me your job spec. Rip, rip, rip. Good. Now let's find a new job for you. Does that make sense? I mean, and and you want everybody to come. And, and by the way, Here's the bad news is that people who you hire for execution have a real hard time with uncertainty. Um, and you are in an uncertain time. Most people come to work for execution. Tell me what to do. Oh, there's my spec. I'll do that. I'll do the best job I can. And I'll give you my 40 hours or whatever it is. Um, but now you're going to tell them, no, 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 stand by. We're trying to figure out what the new job is. And that's going to discomfort a lot of them. But that is what's required now. But as long as you communicate, it's okay to be nervous. It's okay to be feel a little, we are going to figure this out, but we can't be doing the same thing that we were doing last week. And so the jobs are going to change. Does that help? Yeah, it does. hundred percent. 
Um, well, look, we have to work towards wrapping up because we've been speaking for almost an hour, mate. Um, I could talk to you all day about this stuff. It's uh, funny how time flies. And, uh, yeah, look, um, this has been an incredible conversation, a lot of gold shared and, and a lot of practical advice that, that people can take away in this current time and economic climate. Um, was there anything that I've missed, Steve, anything that you would have liked me to ask you otherwise that you wanted to share with, with, with listeners and, and viewers? Well, especially for your founders is, you know, when economies look down and entrepreneurs look up, there's going to be morning after here. It's, it's going to recover, but it's going to be incumbent to you as the leaders to kind of help figure that out. The other thing I'll, I'll suggest to every one of your listeners and viewers is that it's crises like this that help people reevaluate how do you really want to spend your life? Is, is this what you want to do with the rest of your life? In the United States after 9-11, um, a terrorist attack on the World Trade Center, a lot of people decided that actually giving back um, to the government, to their country, et cetera, was actually a lot more important than building the next you know, FARDAP or something else and decided to make massive career changes. You know, I think as people are sitting at home and thinking about as they're trying to figure out what their job is remotely and founders are trying to figure out how to keep alive, there might be some bigger thoughts that are worth having about, you know, there's only so many days and hours left in the rest of your life. Is this how you want to spend it? And I think this is a good time to kind of evaluate that because you never get a memo uh, that says that. So um, we will get to the other side and um, I'm looking forward to, to speaking to you and your viewers uh, in much more happier times. Mm. Yeah, no, that's really great advice. Thank you so much. Well, look, um, Steve, last question is, where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? So I have a website uh, uh, called steveblank.com, Steve, B-L-A-N-K.com. Uh, there's uh, more articles and advice than you ever wanted. Um, and it's uh, my experience in both uh, as an entrepreneur and uh, as an educator and uh, uh, just some fun stories as well. Amazing. Well, look, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to speak with me and uh, share all of your experiences. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, this is going to really help people. So I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I hope you stay safe in these uh, crazy times, mate, and your family's okay. Okay. Stay safe, stay healthy. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.